Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Dana Buckler Show. This is going to be just a little introduction before I play this episode, which originally aired way back in April of 2014, so a little over five years ago. Now, the reason I'm releasing this episode or re-releasing this episode is right now on our Patreon, Mike and I have just released volume 15 of the 20th Century Movie Club, where we talk about movies released in the 1960s. And we reference quite a bit about the Hayes Production Code, which was sort of the precursor to the rating system for movies that we know today. So I thought, just for fun, why not release this episode? Why not go back to the vault and bring this one out? And I'm a little nervous about releasing the episode because, you know, one minute into listening to it, you're going to see that we didn't have very good microphones. We were not recording in a proper space. But one thing we did have was a a passion to tell this story. And I think you're going to see that we were pretty excited to share with everyone everything that we had learned. And keep in mind, when we were doing these episodes, uh, my partner on the show at the time, his name was Jonathan. And when we were doing these shows, we might have had 100 people total listening. So, But that didn't matter to us. We were really excited. So hopefully you'll enjoy this episode. Again, uh, I want to send a big thank you out to all the Patreon supporters. Your support means the world. Your support has had an impact on the show. I've been able to spend uh, more time working on the show and thus producing more content. And uh, we've got a lot of good stuff coming out to the Patreon supporters. We've got a lot of good stuff coming out on the main feed. Got a few bonus episodes that are going to be Patreon only. So to everyone, thank you so much for being a listener of the show. I'm done rambling. And please enjoy this classic episode of How Is This Movie, which was initially titled... Hollywood DC. And that title will make perfect sense once you listen to the episode. All right. So my name is Dana Buckler and thank you so much for listening. Now on to the show. What do you know about the MPAA? If I was ever asked that question, I just said, what, those people who rate the movies? But then I started digging deeper. The MPAA is home to more than just a few mysteries. And with the kind of sway they have in Hollywood and the political power in their back pockets, mess with the MPAA and they might just come knocking on your door. It wouldn't have been the first time. This week on How Is This Movie? Hollywood DC. And welcome everyone, I'm Jonathan Geneva. I'm Dana Buckler. And thank you for joining us here on another exciting episode of How Is This Movie? Be sure to like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash howisthismovie. Follow us on Twitter at howisthismovie. Check out our website, www.hitmpodcast.blogspot.com. And look for us in the iTunes store. Be sure to leave us a five-star rating. Any five-star rating, we'll read live on the air. So, the people are going to be shocked and surprised when they learn some of the things we discovered along the road to this episode and some of the stories that go along with it. Do you not agree, Dana? I think it's absolutely crazy because what happened was we were doing a little bit of brainstorming, looking for some ideas for future episodes. And I literally said to you, Jonathan, do you ever wonder about the rating system, where it came from? Who who rates the movies? I was shocked when we did a little just just a just a little bit of research. It shocked me. So we went really far down the rabbit hole. How do you think the listeners are going to feel about all this information on the rating system and the MPAA? I think they're going to be shocked, to be honest with you. Uh, I remember there was just a couple of our friends that we were sort of, we talked a little bit about what our show is going to be about and just 
just gave them little tidbits of what we had found out, and they were shocked. I mean, it's an interesting, interesting story and legacy of the Motion Picture Association of America. Oh, yeah. Well, for those listeners who haven't heard of the Motion Picture Association of America before, or don't know what it is they, they're really doing back there, they, at the very least, will come out of it with a lot of interesting knowledge that they didn't have before. I, I couldn't agree more. Okay, so let's let's start at a time before any such rating systems existed. It was like a massive free-for-all, uh, and at the center of it, was the predecessor to the MPAA. Well, yeah. Now, what, what we're talking about is Hollywood in the very beginning, in its infant stages. I mean, film is a new medium. Sound in film is a new medium. Even back then, producers in Hollywood, they knew what sold. Yeah. It, it's almost like what social media is today. It's, it's this Wild West landscape that, that has no regulation. It has, there's, there's, n- people really haven't figured out how to harness its potential yet. And back then, like I said, sex and violence, that's what sold. And so you go back to pre 1930s Hollywood and you've got some movies that are on par with some of the most hard R rated films that are out there right now. So what's happening is, although these films are getting, are garnering a lot of popularity and people are going to see them, there is a whole group of people out there that are outraged by the smut that is on the screen. And most notably was the American Roman Catholic Association. They were beside themselves. This is unmoral, unbelievable. Something had to happen. Something had to change. Yes, because you have to remember, too, back then, the ideology of religion was so closely linked to the ideology of government. And society. And society, pop culture. It's like that today, but even more so back then. So so what happened was, with all this outcry, an organization had to be formed to help to sort of reel it all in and sort of say, you can do this, and you can do that, and you can't do this, and you can't do that. Well, of course, this is where we get... Yeah. You have you have the predecessor to the MPAA, which is the MPPDA, the Motion Picture Producers and Distributors Association. Now they realized after a lot of they they took a lot of fire for some of the really explicit nature in these films and some risque incidents that people blamed on 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 the on Hollywood and the movie industry. So they had to call on this guy by the name of William Hayes to, to try to wrangle wrangle this thing. Who who was William Hayes? William Hayes, the person really interesting he, fellow. He was he was basically installed as the first president of this company. And even back then, by the way, he was being paid a hundred thousand dollars a year. That was a lavish, lavish sum back then. That is a seven figure salary these days. Oh, I mean, yeah. he was getting paid. But who was he? Well, he was the 46th Postmaster General of the United States. He was at one time the chairman of the Republican National Committee, the RNC. So this guy heavily influ- has, has a heavy influence in government. He's a straight politician. He was a politician. But when I want to use, we here in today's society, we like to use the term liberal and conservative, left wing, right wing. But this guy was ultra conservative. This is the true Ultra religious. Let me tell you what this guy was. This guy, Will Hayes, he made Bill O'Reilly look like Jon Stewart. I mean, this guy was as conservative as they come. So when you install a person like this as the head of this company, look out, Hollywood, because changes are a coming. Oh. And change he did. Basically, Hayes was to 1930s Hollywood what Giuliani was to NYC to, to New York City. To, to, to he, 1980s New York City. Oh yeah. yeah, he he cleaned up the streets and introduced what became known as the Hayes Code. Now the Hayes Code was basically if I'm making a movie, I'm one of the studios in Hollywood, and I'm making a movie. 
I'm handed this document now. This is called the Hayes Code, and it is a list of things you cannot do in your film from this point on. Please give me some examples of what was on the Hayes Code. Okay, let's again just put it into some perspective. Compared to what gets showed on television and movies today, you won't believe what this Hayes Code, this code of conduct, if you will, decreed for anyone who wished to associate with the MPPDA. And you have to remember, this was a powerful organization. You could not use the word God, Lord, Jesus, Christ, or any other incarnation of God in a profane manner. You could not show or reference the idea of interracial marriage. You could not show white people enslaved. You couldn't ridicule the clergy. Furthermore, if you could believe that, they had an even more extensive list of be carefuls and try not to touch on these, including but not limited to theft, robbery, safe cracking, there goes every cool heist movie, methods of smuggling. You couldn't show any sympathy for criminals. You couldn't show women, men or women in bed together. The list goes on. I mean, you couldn't show sur- surgical operations, excessive or lustful kissing. So you see that, that Hayes wanted as much entertainment in, in movies as there was, you know, staring at the front of the Bible while you're sitting in church. That That's basically... Well, is that is that all the way true, actually? Am I being too, too biased with I, this? I gotta say, I don't think you are. From, from everything that I've... From all the research that I was able to come up with, I mean, the answer is in look at film from the introduction of the Hayes Code up until the 1960s, and I'm going to say the early 1960s. During that period, I mean, films are safe. I mean, you fil- films are, are they're a, it's a family affair. So you're saying it's just, it's just wholesome film. They're, they're, they are wholesome. I mean, I think in, when you get into the 19, late 1930s and into the early 1940s, you know, you were getting some, some World War II films that, you know, they showed people getting shot. I mean, they didn't show squibs going off or blood or anything like that, but there was, there was certainly violence on screen and implying violence, but I think those movies got a pass because most of those films were, you know, the U.S. Army battling the evil Nazi regime. Oh, there was a lot of propaganda when it came to those World War II yeah, films. So, so some films got a pass. So, so give me a couple of examples. The films we got, let's say from you know, the 1930s or 40s, that really a staple film. Well, I mean, that, that made it around the Hayes Code. Well, for example, The Wizard of Oz. That's that's a great example. Gone with the Wind bucked it, though. If you think about it, Gone with the Wind, they used the word "damn," and that was that was against the rules back then. That was so controversial. That was so controversial. But the movie was such a massive. The word. Massive damn just damn he says the words frankly scarlet i don't give a damn so we've got this period of time from the introduction of the hayes code which you know obviously to to say that it restricted filmmakers is to put it mildly but something was happening in america in the 1960s social change civil change and a lot of it and a lot of it was happening. And it wasn't just happening, you know, with with everyday Americans. It was happening in Hollywood. Movies were starting to say, forget the Hayes Act. We're we're trying to tell a real story here. And I cite movies like Psycho, Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho, oh. which today, by today's standards, is rated R. I mean, and in that movie, by the way, there's no bad language in that film, but there was that one infamous shower scene, and that movie was released. It was released. People said, they said, forget about the Hayes Code, forget about the, you know, the code of conduct. We're going to go ahead and release this film. So despite that code being there, there were filmmakers who were willing to push the envelope, and more, even though it might garner some controversy. And more importantly, there were movie theaters that were showing these films. So what did Hayes think of all this social change? Because there were some severe penalties if you went against anything that the MPPDA said, right? 
there were some major penalties. In fact, how, let me just tell you how it worked with Hayes. So Hayes was the was the president of this organization. One of the first things that he did was he hired a production code administrator. This gentleman's name was Joseph Breen. Now, it was Joseph Breen's job to enforce the code, the Hayes Code, if you will, the, the, the unofficial title for it. It became known as the production code. So what he would do was he would actually watch the movies and he would go back to the studio if he didn't feel that it had met the certain criteria laid out by the Hayes Code. So you have one individual who's responsible for deeming whether or not a film is suitable for distribution. One person. Just one, one guy. One person made the decision. But then again, think about it. He had a list to go by. I mean, he had a very, very detailed list. That little formula, as Hayes called it. Yeah, absolutely. So he he's known as the production code assistant. So he would actually literally give the film what was known as the PCA stamp of approval. Now, you had to have the PCA stamp of approval if you were going to show a movie in American theaters. Now, what would happen if a producer or a theater owner attempted to show a film that didn't have the PCA stamp of approval? They got fined a hefty sum of money. It was $25,000, right? $25,000. $25,000 back then is is what today? I mean, that's that's easily $250,000, $300,000. That's, that's just a ridiculous amount of money. Now... Hollywood, the studios, they have to conform to this act. They have to conform to the code. Well, you asked me how Hayes reacted to the social change that came in the 1960s. Hayes was only the president of the organization until 1945 when he stepped down. Enter in Eric Johnston, who was the four-time president of the United States Chamber of Commerce. The cha- one of the most powerful uh, political lobbying groups in the entire country? At, at that time, it was the lobbying group that was it there was there were smaller groups but that was the one that that really influenced how politicians made their decisions so he's got a real political affiliation so now we have two presidents of the MPPDA now the MPAA with powerful political influence yeah, as you, well as powerful sway on Hollywood absolutely and you mentioned the MPAA because that was his first order of business was he changed the name of the organization to the Motion Picture Association so, so was of he America. was he worse than Hayes was uh, you know, people ask that a lot. Was he worse? I don't think he was worse. He he added things to the list, though. Things like blasphemy were added to the list. So he he didn't make the code smaller. He added a few things to it. Well, he did. He did loosen up restrictions a little bit. Uh, it's about ten years into his term as the president, he did say that things like narcotics could be represented in the film if it was done in in good taste. Oh, just some narcotics. Yeah, that's that's great taste. So, but he also did some interesting things there. He he was sort of a I guess one could say a semi-visionary at the time. Cinema as as it was known was was really it was a it wasn't an international thing. You had American movies, you had British movies, you had Germany actually had a pretty big film industry as itself. But one thing that wasn't happening was these films were not being shown in other countries. What Johnston did was he formed the Motion Picture Export Association or the MPEA to start promoting American films abroad. And I think that right there was the seed that sort of started, you know, the Hollywood's influence around the world. So he he actually did some some good things for Hollywood. The question being was he was he tougher, was he harder on things? He loosened up things towards the end of his term. 
His term, unfortunately, ended in 1963. He actually had a stroke, uh, passed away. In office. In office, yeah. And the MPAA ran without a president for three years. Now, we touched on this sort of at the beginning. You know, there was a lot of social change happening in the 1960s. But now there's some real serious social change. Absolutely. 1968, you have the pinnacle of the civil rights movement. You have the pinnacle of hippie counterculture. I mean, things are changing rapidly. Everything is changing. And, and people, filmmakers, screenwriters alike, want change. They do. So enter, in 1966, the longest-serving president of the MPA, and a name that I think a lot of people are familiar with, Jack Valente. Now, Jack Valente, a, a interesting little footnote here, Jonathan, also has political affiliations before becoming president of the MPA. He was special aid to Lyndon Johnson. So not so not only do we have the first two presidents, but the first three with with serious political power. Absolutely. So Valente, he proposes sweeping changes. He gets rid of the Hayes Code as we know it. The production code is gone. Enter a rating system. The rating system is in its infant stages existed of four ratings. You had G for general audiences. That, that's your wholesome that, film. That's that's what every film up until that point, would have been given would have been given the G rating. You then had the M rating, which stood for mature. That was changed a few years later to PG, parental guidance suggested. You then had the R rating, which was restricted. Back then, it was restricted to anyone under the age of 16 had to be accompanied by their parent or guardian. Now it's 17. Now it's 17. And then you had the X rating, which was adults only, anyone above the age of 16. And you want to talk about everything changed. I mean, the floodgates are open now. The veil has been lifted. Producers, screenwriters, directors, they now have a blank canvas to make and tell the story that they want to tell. And my goodness, did we get some amazing movies from 68 and onwards. You've made the argument before to several people that that decade of film is the best of all time. I mean, that's debatable. Unfortunately, I wasn't really, I wasn't around when this happened, but it must have been, I can only compare it to what we're going through now with the, with the technological revolution. Yeah, with social media, you, you have... Well, think about this. Think about this. Like, we're sitting there, and just in the past 10 years, we've seen the advent of social media. We've seen smartphones, and it's, it's an exciting time to be, a, to be alive because we're seeing such an amazing technological revolution going on this was a film revolution and it must have been amazing to be a part of that to see films like the godfather the exorcist chinatown one flew over the cuckoo's nest jaws all of these movies all of a sudden and these were things that people have never ever seen before you could you didn't have never experienced ever before you, you had nothing to compare it to so this is a renaissance period for film right now. This is... And an they, ama- said they set some precedents. I mean, they really did. There, in fact, I dare say there are some movies that came out in the early 1970s that have an R rating that would be slapped with what's now known as the NC-17 rating. We'll get to that in just a little bit. So the 70s comes out. It's an amazing, amazing decade for film. And you, I dare say you look at any top 10 list anywhere, and I promise you at least six movies from the 70s are on all-time top list of, of anyone, including myself. So this this rating system doesn't have another significant change until 1984. And this is where it really evolved to what it is now. Yeah, absolutely. So in 1984, you've got three movies. I'm going to cite three movies in particular. Poltergeist, Gremlins, and Indiana Jones, and The Temple of Doom. These movies all received a PG rating. These movies were also somewhat controversial 
because parents groups out there were a little dismayed when they were taking their 10-year-old to the Indiana Jones film and they're seeing a man literally have his heart pulled out of his chest. So they wanted these films to be resubmitted and receive an R rating. What did those three films have in common, Jonathan? All three of those films have an affiliation with someone I think our listeners are very familiar with, a man by the name of Mr. Steven Spielberg. Correct. Directed Temple of Doom and was producer on Poltergeist and Gremlins. Now, he's not about to go back and have his films resubmitted in our rating. I mean, he's a powerful man in Hollywood at this time. Well, he's Up until that point, he had done Jaws, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, Raiders of the Lost Ark, E.T. What did all those movies have in common? They, they were all rated PG. I mean, he was making PG films at the time. He had not stepped into the R-rated film just yet. He actually proposes to the Motion Picture Association that they come up with a, how did you best describe it? Sort of an intermediate? Yeah, it was, yeah. Like, it was an intermediate between PG and R. And then we get the PG-13 rating, which says no children under the age of 13 are going to be admitted without their parent or guardian. But talk about the power that that man has. I mean, everyone's seen a Spielberg film. Everyone loves Spielberg films. But the fact that he had the power to create an entire new rating that basically today is the standard everyone wants, because it's that teenage market. Everyone wants the PG-13 rating. I, I When you look at, let's just look at this. Is the, the summer blockbuster season has just kicked off. Every hotly anticipated film that's coming out during the summer movie season is rated PG-13. That gives filmmakers so much more latitude with uh, with violence and, and you know maybe a little sexual innuendo and a couple occurrences of maybe some bad language, but nothing nothing overly excessive. And, and Spielberg himself now really only does PG-13 films and R films. Occasionally he'll do an R-rated film every once in a while, but now he he does the PG-13. He helped create the rating system. He now pushes the limits on that rating system as well. Trivia time, 1984, PG-13 rating is introduced. What's the very first film that's released in American theaters with the PG-13 rating? Oh, wasn't it? It's um, Flamingo Kid with Matt Dillon, right? Oh, you know what? I'm going to I'm gonna give you half credit on that one because... Why? That, that, that's right. You know what? The Flamingo Kid with Matt Dillon was the very first film rated PG-13 by the MPAA. However... The second film rated PG-13 was actually the first one released, and that's Red Dawn. And so that was, I suppose now looking back, that was maybe a bit of a trick question. I, okay. My, my apologies on that so, one. So, so, so we're the, both for, right. So the first film released to a general audience was Red Dawn that had yes. a PG-13 rating. And you want to talk about a movie that pushes the boundaries oh, of a PG-13 goodness. rating. It was in the Guinness Book of World Records for years as the most violent film ever made. I've gone back and watched that film just recently, and it is, I mean, it would be rated R by today's standards. Oh, we'll, easily. It, we'll get to that. So, 84, we see a change in the rating systems. We don't see another change in the rating systems until 1990. And in 1990, the MPAA changes the X rating, which by that point, whenever you labeled a movie rated X, people's thoughts automatically went to pornography oh, yeah. and an adult film. Triple X. Everyone, there's, it's synonymous with porn. Yeah, the, the film, adult film industry ran with that X and, <laughs> and made it their own. So the MPAA changes X to NC-17, which means no children under the age of 17 will be admitted in the theater regardless if they're their parents or not. Now, a lot of a lot of movie theaters wouldn't play films that were rated NC-17. Yeah, and that's, that's true today. Uh, you don't want your film rated NC-17 
because you're not going to get an audience for it. And theater owners, if I'm a theater manager and I've got to cho- choose between a few PG-13 rated movies and a few R-rated movies and then an NC-17 movies for, for films that I'm going to show this weekend in my theater, I'm not touching the NC-17 film. No one's going to be able to go see it. Of course not. Of course not. So the rating system as a whole hasn't changed since 1990. That is the rating system as we know it. Okay, so Breen isn't here anymore. He's, you know, the guy who, the lone individual who had the power to, to rate the movies is gone. Who's rating the movies now? I mean, are these studio executives, theater owners? Who, who, who's in charge of that? Well, officially, the MPAA says that the rating system is to be used as a guide for parents to let them make informed choices on what films they're going to let their children see. So who better to rate the films, according to the MPAA, than parents themselves? It's, it's a secret parents focus group that, that they go in... Nobody knows who they are. To this day, nobody knows who who the parents are, who the people are selected. They don't know what demographic they come from. They don't know what political affiliation. They don't know what tax bracket they're in. Nobody knows for sure who's actually rating this movie. All the MPAA will say is that it's a group of parents. Okay, so theoretically, I mean, Spielberg's wife could be could be one of the people rating these movies. With As an organization with so much political influence, where's the oversight there? Well, where's the oversight committee? That's the issue at hand is, you know, we look at the rating system, I think we all take it for granted, but, you know, studios don't take that rating system for granted. PG-13 versus R is the difference between millions and millions of dollars. Hundreds of millions in some cases. Exactly. So do you really think that the studios are going to leave that in the hands of anyone? Well, that's the thing. Now, the MPA will argue that they have to be kept anonymous so they can't be influenced by the studios. It's a, it's, it's, it gets very gray area when you start talking about the people that actually make the decisions. And that can be cited when you look at certain films. Why did certain films get PG-13? And why did other ones get rated R when they're clearly the exact same film? And what's really... This is the part that I think troubles me the most, is that there seems to be a, a real trend happening here where PG-13 movies can be as violent as hell. You know, look at a movie like Mr. And Mrs. Smith that came out not too long ago, rated PG-13. 75 people killed on screen in that film, and it's rated PG-13. But the same organization fought tooth and nail to have Titanic rated R, not because of the hundreds and hundreds of people that die on screen during the sinking of the Titanic, but because of 20 seconds of Kate Winslet in the buff. I mean, where's the logic there in, the, in that? There's not, because you know what's interesting is like they have really like loose, loose guidelines. Like, for example, you know, the F word. It can be used in a PG-13 movie once as long as it's not referring to sex. Like I can, you know, I can't say I'd F her. As soon as I say that, it's rated R. But, I, but you can say, oh, I didn't have any effing ice cream and that's fine. That's that, PG-13. That, that's fine. So it's, you know, that's, that's for me, that's really the only guidelines I can think of now. In fact, I've also read recently that smoking in a movie will automatically get you an R rating unless it's period specific. If it's something like Mad Men you're fine. But if you've got smoking in a movie, you're going to get an R rating. That's why you barely see any smoke. In fact, you don't see any smoking in any PG-13 rated movies unless it's a period film. Think about it now. Do you see anybody smoke in the Dark Knight, the Avengers, Transformers? I can't think of anything off the top of my head. Yeah, absolutely. So that's, I mean, there's, 
there's certain things you can and cannot do, but it's 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 a real gray area, and it's you know it's got to be really challenging for a filmmaker because you don't have that. Ironically, you don't have that code of conduct to to go by. So you could be set out to make a PG movie and a, a couple things, couple shots here, maybe somebody smoking, something like that, and you're slapped with an R-rated film, and then you've got to go back and make cuts. And it costs money to go back and, and retouch these films. So it's it, again, it's got to be a very frustrating process for filmmakers to deal with the Motion Picture Association of America when it comes to ratings. Uh, there was an example just a couple years ago. You familiar with the documentary Bully? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, bullies. It's a very, very important documentary. It touches on the subject of bullying in America, which is a real crisis right now. And the Weinstein Company, Harvey Weinstein, Bob. Back then, it was Miramax. Yeah. Yeah. So they're they they've they've made this really important film, and they are planning on showing it across the country at schools across the country. They they can't wait to get it into the theaters. It's got a very important message. Submit it to the MPAA for their rating slapped with an R rating because of one scene involving the F word. And you can't show R rated films in schools, which is where they were planning on showing the most. You're absolutely right. So they're now they can't show it in schools and you've got to be it's rated R. The target audience for this film can't go see it. So petitions are started online. You know, people are really trying to press the MPAA. Harvey Weinstein, one of the most powerful people in Hollywood. Is, these, are, these are the Weinstein brothers. They they one of the most powerful production companies in the whole world. And so, they can't fight against the MPAA? So what do they do? They say, fine, forget the MPAA. We're just going to release the film unrated. Well, several of the major theater chains out there have policies that they will not show films if they're not rated by the Motion Picture Association of America. AMC comes out and says that they will show the film, but they will treat it like an R-rated film, which means you have to be you know, all the guidelines for R-rated film. Eventually, Weinstein... They go back and they make edits to the film to receive a PG-13 rated movie. That may, that asks the question, I mean, how powerful is the Motion Picture Association of America? You know, Spielberg's able to get a, 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 a new rating introduced. But yet the Weinsteins can't can't uh, cut a couple shots for, they have for to a cut, PG rating, they have a PG-13 to make cuts rating. To the film. So that asks the question, how powerful is the MPAA? Well, in 2004, Jack Valenti steps down as the president after 38 years. And I think a lot of people will say that he he did great things in his tenure as as the president of the MPAA. Well, you know, film is where it's at really because of the decisions he made, especially you know with that rating system. He was replaced by former Secretary of Agriculture Dan Glickman. One of the most poignant things that Glickman does during his tenure is he's able to get he's able to lobby for four hundred million dollars in tax incentives for the movie industry. If you were ever asking the question, you know, how much influence is the MPAA? They were able to get 400 million from the federal government. And what what do they do with that 400 What what do you think that part of that 400 million dollars was used for? Well, if it was me, I'd spend that on fighting piracy. That's that's exactly it. Now, to touch on this subject, you need to go back to the 1980s. There was new technology coming out that Hollywood and the Motion Picture Association of America deemed as the ultimate threat to the theater-going experience. And what was that? That would be something that we're quite familiar with, especially if you've listened to the show. That would be the VCR. And Jack Valente and the MPAA were staunchly against the VCR. I think that is the most hilarious thing I've ever heard. Looking at the Motion Picture Association of America is fighting against VCRs, VHSs. This is when the technology was first coming out. They didn't didn't have the foresight to, to see... 
you know, home video, the movies being released on a home video. So, but you fast forward to 2000, 2001, 2002, there's a new technology out there that the MPAA is again firmly against. And this time it is a real threat. And that is online piracy. Now they took online video piracy so serious that they eventually had the power to literally reach out and touch somebody. And I'm going to give you an example. At an here. individual level. At an individual and you have, level. You have a great story when it comes to this. And I think it's one that a lot of people have experienced too. Well, what they did, before I tell that story, what they initially did was they sent, they, they thought they would try scare tactics first. When they suspected somebody of illegally downloading and sharing movies, they sent a cease and desist letter to them. And imagine you, you open up your mailbox and there's a letter from the Motion Picture Association of America saying, you need to stop or we're going to sue you. That didn't work. Eventually, they got to the point where technology was able to catch up with the people that were illegally downloading and sharing these films that they were able to, to, to really, now they could really press you. At an individual level. At an individual they level. Could, they, could, they could get you. They could. And I'm I'm going to explain first. I'm going to explain a personal experience that happened to me that lets me know how par- powerful the MPAA is. 2009, I wake up random Saturday morning. I go to log on to my, I'm thinking I'm checking my Facebook, or email, whatever. My internet is not working. To set the scenario up, I'm living in an apartment with myself and I've got a roommate. Now, it's not unusual, it's not unprecedented for my internet not to be working. So I go through all the usual, you know, unplug the router and the modem and hook that all back the up. The usual suspects. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm going through my little mental checklist. Okay, so that's not working. Interestingly enough, though, my cable was still on and my internet and cable were bundled together. So what? now I'm asking the question, what the hell is going on here? So I call the cable company. This particular case, it's Cox Communication. I call them. I give them my inf- information, personal information. And the lady on the phone goes, well, Mr. Buckler, I'm going to transfer you to our security department. Security? I said, security department? That's all I can tell you. And I, next thing you know, I'm, I'm transferred. And the guy's like, Cox Communication Security Department. This is Roger. And I'm like, hey, hey Roger, how are you? This is. I gave him my information. And I said, uh, he goes, well, your internet has been turned off. We've had to suspend your internet. I said, for what? Well, the Motion Picture Association of America has filed a grievance against you for illegally downloading and sharing a movie, specifically what happens in Vegas. I s- now, this is where things take a real like odd turn. I'm like, what are you talking about? Now, I'm going to be honest with you. Maybe back in 2003, 2004, I might have had LimeWire on my computer and downloaded some music and everything. It- but you don't remember downloading uh, those films. <coughs> No, don't. Not only do I don't do. Not only do I not remember. I don't even have any of the BitTorrent programs. I don't have any of that stuff on my computer because I think you and I both take the same stance that we're we really are anti piracy. Like, oh yeah, I think we're firmly. I think we're about artists getting money. This is in the music industry. Get, getting money for your. I product. tend to sympathize with the studios when it comes to that. I more, do too more because if they, the, if the more money they make, the more movies they can make, and it's yeah. I think it's better for all. But of us. Anyway, but that, that's, so, but it, so 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 I firmly take the stance that I have no idea what the hell this guy is talking about. I've never downloaded anything illegal. On, on my computer since, you know, moving into this apartment. I, I just, I don't. What happens in Vegas? That's that Ashton Kutcher. Oh, God. no, no, that was not me. So he says, this is how it's going to work. Your internet has been suspended until you contact us. We are now going to reinstate your internet with a verbal warning. The warning is that you have 
if this happens two more times, the second time you will lose your internet for a year. The third time you will never be allowed to have internet through our cable company again. So the MPAA at an individual level, like I've said already, can can swoop down and pinpoint exactly what you're doing and say, if you don't stop, we're going to shut off your internet. Now, this is pre-Edward Snowden NSA collecting data. This is 2009. This is five years ago. So I was finally able to get to the bottom of... Oh, good. So you figured it out. Was it someone like stealing your internet, using it for facetious purposes, or what was, what was happening there? The irony of the situation was it was my roommate. Uh, apparently, he had gotten real into the whole BitTorrent downloading craze, and he, he had tons and tons of movies downloaded. So it took about two or three hours of convincing him the severity of... Well, so, so the internet was in your name. He was the one Absolutely. using the BitTorrents. And the MPAA has filed, I have one grievance filed against me by the MPAA. So let's just put it like this. If you're downloading and sharing movies, even to this day, and you think they don't know about it, you're wrong. You're absolutely wrong. They know everything you're doing. They absolutely... Every single thing. They've probably listened to this podcast. They're probably listening to it as we're recording it. Somehow they they are. (laughs) So they know it. So they know it. They're a powerful organization. I mean, they're a lobbying group, first and foremost. That's what, that's, well, they re- they represent the biggest studio, the eight, six biggest studios in the entire world. They absolutely do. And they, the, they, they, they have some those... of the biggest companies in the whole world. And they, they have such a hand in government that they can do whatever they like. They, I mean, they really can. Up to turning off an individual, one individual's one internet. One individual's internet. They have that kind of power five years ago. So, so you asked the question, where's the oversight? Yeah, where, where's the Oversight Committee? This is basically a political organization. Where is that Oversight Committee? I My answer to you as we wrap up tonight's podcast is, I really don't know. I mean, why aren't more people talking about this? I think it's because, people, like, like we said in the very beginning of the episode, someone asks, oh, do you know about the MPAA? And all I, say, all I did say before we did the show was, oh, those people who did the ratings. I knew nothing, and I don't think people. Hopefully, they took something away from this. Well, I, we should we should end by saying that after Glickman stepped down in 2010, uh, after a years long search, we have what is now the current president of the MPAA. And what do you think he has in common with the past four presidents of the MPAA? It almost makes me nervous to say, but was he involved in politics too? Well. Most people would know him as Senator Chris Dodd. It, it's it's mind boggling. It, how interesting do you think that is? All five presidents of this organization have had some sort of hand in government, and they represent some of the biggest studios in the world. They they choose essentially what gets put out and what doesn't. They, I mean, like the, the, this a little red flag is going up for me right here. Well, well, here's the one part I think we failed to mention to the listeners: the Motion Picture Association of America's headquarters. Where where are they? at i would guess hollywood well unfortunately you're you you would have guessed wrong because the motion picture association's headquarters are firmly planted in washington dc are you serious i am dead serious the organization who controls everything that comes out of almost everything that comes out of hollywood is headquartered in dc that is correct sir with five presidents all of whom have been political players. That is correct. Do you see a trend here? I see I see a trend for sure, and I don't know what to make of this trend. I would simply say Hollywood, D.C. Hollywood, D.C. 
Well, Dana, I think that we we did this topic justice. I really hope that our listeners came out of it learning something they didn't know before. I know that I did. I will tell you this: I'm never going to look at when when the next time I go to the movies and the tr- and the and the preview screen comes up before before a movie trailer, that big green the screen, the big green screen that says the following film, the following preview has been approved for all audiences, and at the very bottom you see by the Motion Picture Association of America. I'm never going to look at that green screen the same again nor will i nor will i well thank you everyone so much for tuning into this episode of how is this movie please we're begging you go to our facebook facebook.com slash how is this movie you can go to our website at hitmpodcast.blogspot.com follow us on twitter at how is this movie and this is the most important guys this is the one that helps us out a lot go on to itunes and leave us a five-star review Please search up How's This Movie on iTunes and leave a five-star review. Go to our Facebook, Twitter, website. We, we really are trying to rally the troops here. All right. So for myself, Dana. And I'm Jonathan. We'll say goodnight and we'll, we'll see you next week.